Good afternoon, members and guests. I think uh, we've still got a couple tables being cleared away, but uh, we are about to get underway. My name is Joseph Lowe, President of Canadian Club Toronto, and I am delighted to be your host today. A very warm welcome to those of you joining us online, thanks to our AV partners and Valkenberg Communications and LiveMeeting.ca. I would like to thank OLTCA for its generous sponsorship of our conversation today. Thank you also to our season sponsor, the Canadian Bankers Association, for its ongoing support through our 125th season at the club. I'd also like to acknowledge Canada's Forest Trust, who has partnered with us to reduce the carbon footprint of our entire season of club events. Now, members and guests, what would you like to ask our panelists today? Certainly, the pandemic has shone a bright light on uh, the long-term care sector, its opportunities, and obviously its challenges as well. So if you're concerned about your parents, your loved ones, or if you're like me, maybe even yourself, now is a good time to jot a question down for our experts. You'll find Q&A cards located at your table, scribble on them old school style, and we will get them to our moderator. And if you're joining us online, hit the submit a question button, as always on the right-hand side of your screen, and we'll get your questions that way as well. And now it's my pleasure to kick off our program. In a moment, we'll begin by inviting Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care, the Honourable Paul Calandra, to share remarks followed by our moderated panel. Before I call on the Minister, let me take a moment to introduce our stellar panel. David Graham, President and CEO of Scarborough Health Network. David joined Scarborough Health Network five years ago as the Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer and was named CEO in 2022. He's played a key role in all of SHN's major projects, such as the Scarborough Research Institute and the $1 billion capital and master plan redevelopment initiatives. He's extensive public sector experience in the hospital, university, and college sectors, having held multiple executive leadership positions in finance, planning, and management. Nitin Jane, President and CEO, Siena Sierra Living. Nitin heads one of Canada's leading operators in the seniors living sector, featuring more than 90 high-quality assets in Ontario, British Columbia, and Saskatchewan. Prior to becoming President and CEO in June 2020, he served as Siena's Chief Financial Officer and Chief Investment Officer for six years, overseeing more than a billion dollars in new investments. He's also held senior leadership roles at Canadian Tire and General Electric before joining Siena. Moderating our discussion today is the Toronto Star's Moira Welsh. In addition to her reporting duties, Moira also leads a star special project called the Third Act, which challenges governments, policymakers, and institutions to improve the way we live in our later years. Moira is the author of Happily Ever Older, Revolutionary Approaches to Long-Term Care, and has written extensively on issues related to older adults, along with social justice, health, and the environment. The Honorable Paul Calandra, Ontario Minister of Long-Term Care. Minister Calandra is the member of Provincial Parliament for Markham Stouffville. Before being elected to the Ontario Legislature in 2018, he was a federal member of Parliament, elected in 2008 and re-elected in 2011. During his tenure as MP, the Minister was a member on many committees, including Citizenship and Immigration. He served as Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Canadian Heritage and later as the Parliamentary Secretary to the Prime Minister and to the President of the Queen's Privy Council. Minister Calandra, the Canadian Club Toronto podium is yours. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Let me just uh, thank uh, uh, the Canadian Club and uh, and the sponsors for uh, for hosting me uh, uh, me today. It's uh, it is obviously a really great honor for me to be able to be here today and uh, and to uh, to talk with you. I see so many of you that I, I recognize. We've been having a lot of uh, with many of you a lot of discussions on the future of uh, of long term care and how we can make long term care better across the province of Ontario. And I want to thank uh, each and every one of you who have uh, who have participated in uh, in that. Look, when we uh, when we started out, uh, uh, really back in in, in 2018, the, the premier made a commitment that we had to do more to to help long-term care across the province of Ontario. And we started out with a commitment that we were going to build uh, 60,000 uh, new and upgraded beds across the uh, the province of Ontario. And that seemed to be a huge lift at the time. It was something that. Uh, hadn't been done in a very, very long time in the province uh, of Ontario. The pandemic highlighted the need for us to really go even faster when it came to building long-term care. And I want to thank, again, each and every one of you who have really stepped up to the plate to help us uh, uh, to meet our goals. Uh, I know that uh, Nitin introduced me to uh, two uh, special people from his organization, uh, Bernicia and, and Fernando. Where, where, where are they? Uh, where, you know, I'm going to ask them to stand up if they're here. Is Bernicia? Is so, and there they are. So, these are two uh, remarkable individuals in, in a remarkable uh, organization. Now, Renicia, 48 years as a PSW uh, uh, in, uh, in Ontario. And again, Fernando has been doing well. Thank you to both of you and uh, and for all of the people that uh, that uh, you help represent by uh, by being here. Uh, uh, look, the early days of the pandemic were certainly very very difficult ones, and we asked uh, those who work in long term care to go above and beyond the call of uh, of duty. And I want to thank you very very uh, specifically, and to thank all of your colleagues for the incredible work that you did not only during the pandemic, but that you did before and after. You've always gone above and beyond the call of duty, and I can't thank you enough. So thank you very much for being here today. today. So look, we started as well uh, with, uh, after the pandemic, we, we took the lessons of the pandemic and we said, what more can we do to improve long-term care? And again, we turned back to all of you in the room and we said, what can we do? And we, we brought forward what I think was a landmark Fixing Long-Term Care uh, Act, uh, uh, which was passed. But we knew we had to do more. I talked to so many of you in this room, and you said there is so much more that we can do in long-term care across the province uh, of Ontario. But part of that had to be, had to start off with building the 60,000 new and upgraded beds. And when we talked to many of you, when we took at the lessons that we learned during the pandemic, one thing became very, very clear to us. Not only did we have to speed up the process of building long-term care, not only did we have to increase the amount of, uh, of care in our long-term care homes, but we had to bring long-term care into many different parts of the province than it was before. People told us during the pandemic that they wanted to live in the communities that they helped build. They wanted to live close to their family and friends. And that meant that we as government and you as providers had to look at different opportunities in smaller communities across the province of Ontario to offer opportunity to do just that. And that is what you all have been doing in cooperation with us. I was in, a, in, an, uh, in Athens, Athens, Ontario. Uh, and uh, I believe it's a new 160-bed uh, uh, home that we're building, uh, we're building there. And the residents there, it is a very, it's a small community. The long-term care home will be the biggest property taxpayer. The long-term care home will be the biggest employer. But more importantly, every single one of those residents who are moving into a larger 
brand new home will be right in the community that many of them have lived for generations. And that is also what is extraordinarily exciting. And these are modern, safe, state-of-the-art homes that you all are building uh, for the people of, uh, of the province uh, of Ontario. But as I said, there is more that we can do in long-term care. One of the things that I've, I've learned by working with you, alongside with you, uh, uh, Donna and, and I have had uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of discussions. Sue, I see Sue uh, Sue here as well, uh, and uh, and uh, and Lisa. We've had a lot of discussions, and we know that we can do more. Right, long-term care should not just stop at what it is. We have talked about this time and time again, and I know people get frustrated when they hear me say it. Uh, uh, long-term care is not an institution. It is not an institution where we go to warehouse people. It is a home for the people that are there. It is where they will go. Uh, They will go and build new memories, right? And you and your teams and your staff have always understood that. You have always understood that. Uh, and as I said, is pointing out 48 years as a, as, a, as a PSW. You have understood it and we have now finally caught up. We have finally caught up with you and that is part of what we are doing in the Fixing Long-Term Care Act. It is part of the reason why we're building so many new and upgraded homes. It's why we're phasing out the older homes. It's why we're We've removed the, the four-bed ward rooms uh, across the province of Ontario. It's why we're putting air conditioning in every single room across the province uh, uh, of Ontario. It is why we're adding four hours of care in every single uh, home across uh, the province of Ontario, adding an additional 27,000 health care workers, because we know that's what it takes to not only improve long-term care in the province of Ontario, but to go to the next phase of long-term care and I'm going to talk a little bit about what the next phase of long-term care is and uh, I know some of you some of you have heard uh, me uh, uh, talk about this I think you probably know where 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 I'm going but uh, uh, you know that in February we released uh, the your health plan uh, uh, connected and convenient uh, care uh, and what this plan is it's about making sure that we have better care for the people of the province of Ontario closer to home uh, and how can that include long-term care? So, this includes making the process of accessing care as convenient and comfortable as possible for Ontarians, including residents in long-term care. Now, one of the gaps uh, government needs to address is the lack of availability of sufficiently, sufficient and timely access to diagnostic services. Now, without proper access to diagnostic services, we are asking our elderly residents, many of whom are dealing with complex care, uh, to pack up, head to an emergency room for tests and procedures that could and should be done within the walls of your long-term care homes and the long-term care homes that we are building across the province of Ontario. Now this is not only, and you, many of you have talked to me about this, this is not only a hardship, an undue hardship and potential harm to the residents, but it also places additional burden on already strained hospitals. Now, to address these challenges, the Ministry of Long-Term Care has been working with our sector partners, including hospitals and community labs, to, to develop a broader provincial plan to provide faster, more convenient access to diagnostic services for all long-term care residents. Now, our expanded diagnostics plan is based on the fundamental, on fundamental principles. Firstly, we will aim to build capacity for diagnostic testing. This includes expanding access to equipment training and clinical supports within long-term care homes themselves. 
Residents should not need to travel to receive basic services and our caregivers should be equipped with the necessary tools and training to support them. And we've already seen success and many of you have accessed the Local Priorities Fund where we've seen homes apply for funding to purchase diagnostic tools, ultrasound equipment and bladder scanners. An expanded initiative will allow us to provide even more point of care testing directly to residents in their homes. Now secondly, our plan will focus on increasing access to diagnostic services provided by community labs in order to provide faster, more timely access to laboratory testing, including blood tests and imaging. These include looking at ways to increase after hours and weekend lab services. And lastly, we will look to leverage partnerships with hospitals and community services to facilitate enhanced care pathways that better support long-term care residents. Now, currently, uh, we have two pilot projects underway implemented in uh, partnership with Humber uh, River Regional Hospital and the Royal Victoria uh, Regional Health uh, Center in Barrie. Now, these projects, as you know, are, are designed to make it quicker and less stressful uh, and more convenient for residents when they need access to diagnostic services in hospitals. We're also looking at ways we can potentially further leverage uh, nurse-led outreach teams, community paramedics from hospitals into more long-term care homes. And with all of these initiatives, our goal is simple. Build a healthcare system that comes to the residents instead of making residents go to it. Now, as we look to implement these principles, it is important to recognize that this will obviously take some time. Now, our plan will be rolled out in a phased approach that prioritizes the most vulnerable populations with the greatest need. We also must keep in mind that Ontario is more than just Toronto. With all due respect to my friends from Toronto here. We need a solution that works uh, in all parts of the province. Uh, and I will be turning to each and every one of you in this room to help me deliver and develop this plan. Now, as much as I've talked about uh, the two pilots that we have with the uh, wonderful hospitals that are going well, the goal of what we are announcing and what uh, I am outlining here today is to have our residents be taken care of in your homes. We have asked a lot of you. We have asked a lot of you. Uh, the Premier has asked a lot of, uh, of you as well. And part of our, our, our rationale for building out so many new homes Part of the rationale for adding the four hours of care is because we want it to go in this direction. It's about building an integrated healthcare system. That is what the Minister of Health has talked about in her plan. That is what the Premier talked about when he talks about ending hallway healthcare. It's not just about getting people out of the hallways of our hospitals. It's about providing the best quality of care for the people of the province of Ontario, whether that's in a long-term care home, whether that's in a hospital, or what has to be the next phase of improving home care for the people of the province of Ontario. That is what is going to be the next phase of improving health care for every single one of the people across this province. And we can do that. We have shown that we can do that. When given the resources, you have all stepped up to the challenge. We have said that in the, in the last round of uh, funding that we were going to not only as many of you have taken advantage of uh, the increased funding, uh, the CFS funding, it was a, a challenging commitment. As we saw inflation start to impact our ability to get shovels in the ground, the Premier said, just get it done. Do what it takes and get it done and ensure that we had the resources to do that. When you came to us and said, we need to provide more hours of care for our residents, the Premier said, get it done and ensure that we had the resources to do it. 
And now the next step for the Premier of the province of Ontario, for our government, is to ensure that we give people the best quality care in the right place and the right time. And I will just say this when it comes to that, and my team will probably drive, will get upset because they've heard it, but uh, a number of times, and so many of you have as well. When we talk about what long-term care can be in communities across the province of Ontario, I always bring up, and I will not stop using this until we get it done, I always bring up the example of a 92-year-old man in Stouffville who, um, This is a great guy, actually. 92 years old, and we forced him to an emergency room to get his nails cut, when across the street was a long-term care home. We can't do that anymore, right? That's not what we're, that's not right. I get emotional because it's my father-in-law. Too, too proud to have his family cut his nails. Can you imagine when across the street was an operator who's uh, in this room? That's not what we do in the province of Ontario. Thankfully, the Premier has said, that is enough. We can do better, we should do better, and that is what this is all about. We are asking you for a lot. Uh, we're demanding a lot from you, uh, but we will be there for you, and we will ensure that we provide the absolute best quality of care for the people of the province of Ontario. And I thank you all. I also want to just, if I can, uh, I just want to, where's the, my long-term care? Brian Pollard is, is here. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Brian just to stand up. Uh, uh, he, he, stand up longer, Brian. Like, stand up longer, Brian. I, I, I want to point him out, and also I'm going to have, I, sorry, I, you, know, you're, you know, in politics you're never supposed to be, you know, the, the, the team around you. You know, it's this word, if you get caught in a picture, you get a fine. But I want to have my team, some of the members of my team, wherever you are, stand up because, uh, stand up some of the members of my team as well. Just take a bow because uh, as much as, uh, as much as, uh, as much as we have asked you a lot, Brian and his team and the people that support me have gone above and beyond the call of duty as well. We are getting more shovels in the ground in more communities across the province of Ontario. And you are uh, all working really, really nonstop to get this done uh, for the people of the province of Ontario. So uh, thank you all very much. And, and again, just let me thank, uh, let me thank the club and, and let me thank uh, Donna and the sponsors at Nitton. Uh, and, and everybody for everything that, uh, that you have done. Uh, uh, we have a lot of work ahead of us, but we have shown that by working together, we can actually make huge changes for the people of the province of Ontario. And I thank you all for what you have done to make this, uh, this happen. So thank you, thank you so much. It's um, great to be here today, and I know that working for the Toronto Star, whenever we have discussions or do stories about aging well, um, it, it always ends up being a very lively conversation, so hopefully today we'll, we'll have a bit of that as well. But there are lots of questions, so let's get to it. Um, when we talk about the continuum of care, 
let's not forget the fact that a great many of us want to live in the community amongst our friends and family, and the vast majority of us can do so, especially with a little bit of help in our more vulnerable years. Some of these ideas might in involve uh, primary care clinics that are very close to us. I can think of one called the Mint Memory Clinic that specializes in dementia care. Um, there's also House Calls, which is a program that sends doctors and physiotherapists and so on into the homes of homebound seniors. But there's a program that I saw in New York City last year when we wrote about in the Star um, with the launch of our uh, third act series, and it was so interesting. And when I was down there um, researching this, I met several women who were in their mid-90s, fiercely independent women, um, very active, and all because they live in something called NORCs with supports. And a NORC, or a naturally occurring retirement community, is a regular apartment or condo complex with a preponderance of older adults. They are not planned communities, not like retirement homes, um, but what is planned is the embedded care from um, healthcare workers and uh, social workers within the homes that keeps people active and, and it limits their, their isolation that many people live through in their later years, all funded by the city of New York and the state of New York. So recent analysis by the UHN's NORC Innovation Center found that in Ontario, 217 older adults live in 489 buildings that could be defined as NORCs, albeit without the supports. Conversely, Ontario has nearly 40,000 people on the wait list for long-term care, which the Ontario Long-Term Care Association says will grow to 48,000 by 2009. David, New York City's Mount Sinai Hospital has deep connections to some NORC programs, sending geriatricians and other medical staff into the communities to help support healthy aging programs at home. Do you see the potential for Scarborough Health Network and other hospitals to support NORC-like programs in the community, particularly where there are, is a diverse group of people who may not be able to afford retirement homes. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And I can tell you that at Scarborough Health Network, we represent a very diverse neighborhoods. We have a lot of people in terms of catchment area of 850,000. And if I relate this to something that we actually experienced through COVID, we actually use data to actually identify those types of issues. So we could see that people within a clustered uh, postal code were having multiple visits into our organization and they were all living in the same building. So what we actually did was apply to team to go in and provide care in those buildings, which actually diverted people from coming in. It's exactly the same principle where you look around those wraparound services. When hospitals start to see their uh, benefits of being outside in the community and being able to treat people where they are, you actually see lower admissions for people who don't need to be in the hospital, and you've actually got the right level of care at the right place. By having those identified as a congregate of people, you actually are able to scale up your model and actually make it very effective care that's better for the patient and actually better for their outcomes as well. So I absolutely see using data to be able to identify those types, and we look around those types of social work services or if it's the daycare services as you outlined uh, for you know, low acuity procedures, we absolutely see a reason for looking at that. Minister, New York State and NORC providers basically say what David just said was that their programs lead to fewer hospital visits, enabling people to live and die at home. If NORC programs save money, lead to better health outcomes, and potentially shorter long-term care wait lists, 
how would you view the return on investment for Ontario government funding of such programs? Yeah, look, I, you know, when I got, uh, let's say that when I got sworn in, my daughter asked me, uh, my youngest daughter said, uh, what's your job? I said, uh, it's, I'm going to be the long-term care minister. And she said, uh, well, what, what's that? And I explained it to her, and she said, well, that's a dumb job. Well, you're just going to come live with me when you get old. Uh, and then she just walked away, and then they started to fight over, you know, my two daughters started fighting over who would have the better household that I could go live with. Uh, but the point of that is, is that it's part of the build is, is also about recognizing that the next phase has to be in building an integrated system, building out home care, right? It's why we have the, the nurse outreach teams and the, the very, very, very successful, uh, 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 the um, community paramedicine uh, program, which has been so successful across the, uh, the province of Ontario. It is another reason why, as I outlined today, why I want to improve diagnostics within our long-term care homes, right? Because the new homes are, are able to provide so much more than, than we could have ever imagined. The four hours of care, nurse practitioners, the community paramedicine program, um, these are all factors that will help us then with diagnostics in some of our, in, in some or many of our, our homes, new homes, it will allow people to be in their homes longer, uh, right? They can stay home longer as long as they have the support. So it is part of building that integrated system, uh, integrated healthcare system that the Ontario health teams contemplated when they were, uh, when they were brought online by, uh, by Minister Elliott. It is the natural progression. Already our long-term care homes are doing much more complex care than, uh, than they were before. It's part of the reason why we brought in the local priorities fund, but it is the natural uh, progression and I hear it constantly. Uh, I'm glad that you're building long-term care, but please allow me to stay at home as long as I possibly can, but give me the services. And that's why I think the diagnostic piece is so important to uh, the overall moving to that next step as you outlined. A woman contacted me about a week ago saying that her mother is living with dementia, chronic health conditions, needs help eating and, and using the washroom and so on. But she feels that her mom is basically abandoned in what the daughter calls a gray zone. She can't get a long-term care bed and she only qualifies for a few hours of government paid home care each week. The family caregiver is exhausted, her mother is at risk and the family doctor, the daughter said, tried every option to help until he recently told her to take her mother to the hospital and leave her there. The daughter is not alone in her exhaustion. The Canadian Institute for Health Information says that 96% of individuals receiving extended home care have an unpaid caregiver, and more than one in three of those caregivers is distressed. That impacts jobs, family, and can, can diminish the caregiver's health. As of last fall, Ontarians, um, nearly 20,000 Ontarians were on a wait list for home care with the majority over the age of 60. So just to build on what you were just referring to, the lack of reliable home care in Ontario is placing and continues to place a huge stress on families. And ger geriatricians sometimes say that burden ends up sending caregivers to the hospital, especially older caregivers. So what can be done? Like, what are you looking at in an urgent sense? in terms of getting more care in the community. Is that something that some long-term care homes that are properly staffed could provide? I think it's a, for sure a piece, uh, a piece of it, right? And it's, it's one of the reasons why you move to the four hours of care. It's another reason why you, you bring on, on diagnostics into the homes, but uh, uh, equally important uh, on this, when we went to the, the sector and we said, listen, we've got to start to moving away from COVID. We need to open up more beds. One of the first things that we said we had to do is the short stay beds. Uh, 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 because I heard it a lot 
I heard it a lot from caregivers. I'm, I'm stressed. I need a, I need a break. Uh, and the sector came through and they, they went over and above bringing more beds online than, than I even anticipated. So they've done a good job on that. But it's also the impetus for the, the local priorities fund uh, as well. Uh, because a lot of the homes were telling us we can do more in specific cases if you give us uh, assistance to do that. Uh, and so the local priority fund helps to address those types of instances. So it's a multi-pronged approach. I know I saw him uh, as I was coming in, but the uh, but there's I, I'll just say this and then I'll stop. There's more to learn on this as well, right? As we start to build out long-term care, as we go down the road of improving home care, we can also steal the good ideas from other jurisdictions. I know the the consul general from uh, uh, the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Uh, uh, I saw him earlier, I'm not sure if he's uh, still here. They are doing some pretty remarkable things when it comes to uh, dementia care, when it comes to uh, uh, home care. And you know, I'm not averse to stealing the good ideas, but it is the necessary next step is, uh, is on home care. But short term really was short stay beds. We had to bring them back, back online. The homes really, really came through. And then the local priority fund, which was really developed through the work of uh, of, of, of the homes themselves, and you know, Nitin, you're, you're, you played a really big role in helping me understand, and, 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 and Donna and Lisa, the importance of it. So it is the, necess it is the next step, it, and we have to get there. We have to do a better job, and I think uh, that's what building an integrated system is, is all about. And Nitin, you have um, retirement homes in, in Siena as well. How do you view the value of government-paid home care for your residents in retirement homes? Uh, thank you, Maura, and great to be here with Minister Calandra and with David. And I would say the answer to your question is yes, in the sense that, you know, there are two things which are going to be true about seniors in Canada. One is we would not have enough places for seniors to live, and second, we would not have enough staff to take care of seniors. So whether it's smaller communities with getting some home care, whether it's retirement homes, and retirement homes exist of every kind there. There are retirement homes which look like Fairmont. They charge you $10,000 a month. And there are retirement homes which are Hampton, in which my kids love because they get a free breakfast, and they are very affordable. And we have Gertrude here from one of our retirement homes. And, you know, the same thing you talked about, you know, finding things. Gertrude is 96, and she told me I can say that. And she started painting at the age of 90. <laughs> and that's the piece about senior living is that it is just not about safe and being uh, healthy. As Canadians, we should take that for granted for a lot of ways. What we are really after is happiness, and that's what Gertrude is a great example, is that you can, when you're in the right communities with the right support, you can do that. From a home care perspective, cannot agree with you more that people should stay in their home as long as they can. And in a lot of retirement homes, more than 60% of our residents do get home care funded through government. Mm -hmm. And really long-term care has changed a lot what it used to be 50 years back. 50 years back, we had parking spots for residents. People would drive into a long-term care home. No one has mentioned parking spot and resident in the same sentence for a lot of years. So that resident profile has changed. And the reality is that residents who are in long-term care cannot, in fact, be looked after at home. So we need the whole continuum, as you talked about, uh, David and Minister. After a long pandemic that saw thousands of deaths in long-term care and the military and hospitals temporarily take control of mainly for-profit homes, Ontarians continue to have significant concerns about the care of privately offered in privately owned nursing homes. Nitin, given the continued debate around for-profit chains, looking after increasingly vulnerable people, how would you define the challenges of gaining the public's trust? And are you in a tangible way addressing those concerns? 
I think that is one of the most important questions is really public trust. And I would maybe divide it into two. One is the external partners, the government and, and David. And David is a great example because you have to go through a crisis to find out who your friends are. And David came to help us when we needed the most and we asked for the help, both from the army and from hospitals. And we were so very glad that they came to help us because this was early days of pandemic. No one was masking. We did not really understand uh, that virus. And the second is really our three internal partners, the three most important. And Minister talked about both Vernicia and, and Fernanda, and it's really the gaining the trust with the team members, with our residents and their families. And I'll just maybe take a quick example of each one of them. From a team member perspective, you know, the old way of communication where you print memos from corporate and you post it into staff rooms, that worked. During pandemic, no one was going through those staff rooms because they were all closed. And uh, so uh, our team launched an app, which usually takes a year and six weeks. And the whole idea was, how do we get this information that we have at corporate and get it to our homes in a matter of six weeks. And uh, we were able to do that. And then got into alignment with the team members. So one of the other things about Vernicia is uh, um, she was with me last year, first time in the history of TSX who opened the market. First time a healthcare worker did that. And that was just not about giving shares in a public company to team members. It was driving alignment and to let them know how important they are to the success of the sector. From a resident perspective, it was the exact same thing. We did a lot of uh, conversations with team members with residents and families, what is important. And three things jumped out, personalization, choice, and connected to the community. And the minister talked about connection to the community. And the other two are extremely important. You know, the, the idea that they're residents who want, you know, their orange juice mixed with pineapple juice, and that personalization and choice is the big deal. And we're taking a lot of learnings from our retirement homes. Like we put this process into place. When you get called into a long-term care home, you have nearly a day or a two to make a decision very quickly. And it can be a very challenging decision uh, so we do this whole thing where there's a gift for a resident, and it could be as simple as a Blue Jays hat because that is important to them. And the last one is around family members. So we did this council of councils, and the whole idea is to give us constructive feedback, and that, uh, that relationship did not start out well. We had some very difficult discussions, but when we launched our, when we launched our platform, is really making sure that it goes with caregivers because you're right, they have a majority of that burden, and many of that is not funded. My next question, I'd like to bring David into this as well, but um, Nitin, early on, I believe it was in uh, 2020, um, the Scarborough Health Network temporarily took over Ultimate, Altamont um, Care Home. Can you describe uh, what that was like, the challenges at the beginning, and then how that relationship has evolved with Scarborough Health Network? And, and David, perhaps if you could talk about, could that possibly be a model moving forward for other communities? Sure. I, I would again go back to, I think you have to go through a crisis to find out who your friends are. And David really rose to that occasion. Um, him and his team were so incredible uh, to work with and we really needed help because at that time, long-term care homes stopped becoming long-term care homes. They became acute care, which is not our expertise. And that's where David and his expertise helped a lot. The same home, which had a, such a significant outbreak early in COVID, uh, did not have an outbreak for two years after that. Uh, and a big part of those outbreaks were driven by four people in a room which we're extremely thankful the government uh, decided to remove those third and fourth rooms so there are two people in a room. And that is a big factor of how that infection spread in a lot of those older homes. And we continue to find ways, you know, the whole idea of diagnostic imaging, uh, pa better palliative care, better ALC beds we do with a couple of other hospitals in the system. And we continue to find ways to partner with David and his team. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting language sometimes matters. And, and I, would, I would phrase it that SHN never took over uh, operations at Siena. 
Um, that's not true for all organizations. So when Nitin and I were connected uh, to start having the conversation about possibly lending SHN's help, it, it was a collaborative discussion right from the start. I can tell you the full discussion was about what are we gonna do for our patients and what are we gonna do for our residents and how do we make sure that each has what they need. So we, we knew that we had some areas of expertise and we had a lot more staffing that was still available. So we were able to really work through what that meant to each organization and how we could actually complement what was already going on. There wasn't a lack of caring for the patients or for uh, the residents. It really was about how do we emerge out of this discussion to be able to provide the best care for our group. Nitin and his team were completely open when we would have startup meetings. Uh, there was no discussion in terms of uh, we don't want to do that. It was always about how do we do it together. Uh, and that really did form the, the basis of a partnership where we've had more discussions because again, the values of the two organizations really resonated. And it was really about making sure that we have uh, members and partners in our continuum of care. In SHN, we're talking about having impactful partnerships. It's not just enough to say we have an OHT or a partnership. It's really about making sure that we have the right partners to come to deliver for our um, community and make sure that they have the right care in the right place. And that goes right from primary care all the way through to long-term care. Mm -hmm. So, One of the biggest issues I think facing the industry right now is staffing. And it's a global issue. It's impacting um, all sectors related to healthcare in, in many ways. But by the um, early 2030s, nearly one quarter of Ontarians will be over the age of 65. And yet it seems like we do not have enough workers to support older adults in, in all sectors, community, long-term care, and hospitals. And I know of homes that are offering nurses full-time jobs with benefits, and the nurses turn them down because they can make more money working for a staffing agency, and it's hard to blame them for, for doing that. Um, but in Ontario, many staffing agencies are recruiting workers from homes, often sending them back at double or triple the hourly rate. A recent report from Advantage Ontario found that fees charged by some, not all, but some agencies were essentially cannibalizing the government funding that was meant to hire more staff, not fewer workers, at a higher rate. Some homes said the cost threatens their ability to meet the annual targets for four hours of daily care by 2025. I understand that the Ontario Long-Term Care Association and Advantage Ontario have submitted a report with recommendations for change. Minister, how do you view the impact of the worker exodus from homes to staffing agencies as it relates to the government's promise for an hour, average of four hours of daily care by March 2025? Yeah, I'll say this first. We, we, we have met our, our targets uh, uh, when it comes to the, the slow expansion to the four hours of care by 2025. It has been deliberately timed expansion uh, to 2025 four hours of care to coincide with all of the supports that we're providing uh, uh, in our uh, in colleges, universities to bring to onboard new people into the system. And we are seeing record numbers of people who are coming out of our colleges, university, our career colleges when it comes to PSWs and uh, uh, RPNs. Uh, so I've been very, very encouraged by that. I've also spent a lot of time both working with both uh, associations and, uh, and, and the providers. And we're starting to see finally uh, uh, a decrease in uh, the usage of, uh, of, of agencies. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Uh, at the same time, we have uh, providers who are, are, are doing uh, different and exciting things to encourage people to come back into the long-term care homes. So what I hear a lot is, give me a new home. From, from the staff. We want to work in something that is new. We don't want to be in older homes. Allow me to work to the full scope of my practice. 
in a long-term care home, which is part of what we're, we're, we're doing today. Um, but it's also more, I hear about flexibility. And I know some of our providers are working with, uh, with the unions to provide that flexibility, to see how uh, by changing certain things in a home, uh, union working with provider, does that lead to more full-time employees in a home? And we are seeing huge success on that. I know ExtendiCare is, uh, is, has been doing that uh, uh, very, very successfully. Uh, um, so we are starting to see progress. And of course, we're working with both associations and with the providers. Look, agency is, a, is, is an important part of both uh, long-term care and healthcare. It has always been there as a backstop. Uh, and I think most of the providers will say we need some, some form of agency and uh, uh, but I think if we address the things that we're, we're talking about, scope of practice, diagnostics, newer homes, uh, flexibility, as some of the, the providers are in, in, in this uh, room today, we can get to a more stable uh, uh, workforce. We will hit our targets of four hours of care. And as I said, the learning stay programs, the bringing homes into smaller communities, uh, has been extraordinary in accessing local staff who are then going back to school, becoming PSWs and, and, and you know, going on to be RPNs, RNs. So I'm very, very optimistic by all of the programs that we put in place and by the, the sector itself's ability to evolve, to meet the needs uh, of, uh, of what, uh, what we're seeing. And I'm very optimistic because we've seen a stabilizing and a decrease. As I've been going to a lot of uh, homes, and it's the number one question I ask them is, what's your agency at? And I've been very, very uh, excited by, by where we're going uh, with it. So I, I'm very optimistic that with everything that we're doing, not only will we meet our four hours of care, but we will have the capacity to do the next step, which is, which is the home care piece, which works uh, side by side in fixing acute, long-term care, and, and home care all together as one. So we just have about five minutes left, so um, I'll be quick, but to build on your point, sure. Um, there are some long-term care homes operated by Peel Region, um, the Rekai Centre, Jarlette Health, and City of Toronto that are among those that have adopted philosophies that are focused on the emotional well-being of residents. They offer the freedom to pursue their own individual interests and don't operate in sort of a cookie-cutter mm -hmm. um, atmosphere. And for many residents and many staff, this creates a place where people love to come to work yep. as much as it is possible if you're living in that setting. So, um, and as the saying goes, happy staff, happy, happy residents. Mm -hmm. um, but David, uh, William Osler Health System recently added one of these programs to its acute dementia care unit in Brampton Civic Hospital. And a recent story by my colleague, Patty Winza, quoted hospital, a hospital spokesperson saying they've seen an increase in staff retention and in staff and phys physician engagement and a decrease in falls and anxiety among residents. Do you see these philosophies as a good fit for perhaps SHN or just hospitals in general? So we're always looking for ways to make sure that we're providing the right and appropriate care for our uh, patients. And we've looked at that and we're absolutely considering those types of investments. I, I would say that as we look at what our population needs and where we need them along the continuum, we're looking to work with partners to be able to make sure that those patients are actually in the right spot for their care that they're needed. Um, a lot of the information that we've seen thus far says that those are some lower acuity patients and that we would be working with partners to have them placed in the most appropriate care, which at that point in our organization probably isn't an acute care hospital. So it's part of why we've started to create, you know, our, you've referenced the nursing outreach teams. Mm -hmm. We're trying to learn lessons from all of other organizations. 
we've actually piloted one where we're partnering with 20 organizations that actually help us get patients out into an appropriate care setting based on both culture, food, all of those things. So it's absolutely lessons learned that we can take. Minister, I'm interested in, you've, you've visited many of these homes, yep. so I'm interested in your thoughts. What did you see unfolding there? Yeah, it is one of the reasons why I am uh, uh, so excited about the four hours of care, like the emotion-based care that, we, that I've, I've seen in a number of homes. And it's not only the ones that you've referenced, but a lot of the homes that I visit are starting to implement uh, an emotion-based uh, care, which involves everybody, right? Is, is, you know, we were, when we were in one of the, uh, uh, the Peel homes, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the person who was cleaning the room, she, she was also participating in the care. She was trained to help participate in the care. It was, it was quite wonderful. But what I hear from a lot of our partners is, once you give us the funding and the ability to do it, we can do it. And that's why I'm, I, I'm so excited about the four hours of care. That's why, um, you know, the fact that, look, we're going to hire 27,000 additional healthcare workers across just the long-term care sector alone. And I think emotion-based care allows us to do that. But it also then, as I say, once we make, uh, once we build it out, once we have a build out on, on the home care and the transition to four hours of care, the diagnostic servicing, all of that together allows us to do something very different and very special in a lot of the homes across the province of Ontario. And I think that's where people want us to go. And I hear that's what the providers also want to be able to provide uh, their residents. And the difference is, is, is amazing. I'm sure you've been in some of them and you go into a home, uh, uh, you know, uh, where they're handling mostly dementia and, and it's not at all what it was before, right? Emotion-based care has quieted the home. It's everybody is participating in it. And that's what the four hours allows us to, uh, to do more of. I think this will be my final question, but long-term care leaders say that people are increasingly entering homes, as has been discussed, with chronic medical issues, frailty, significant cognitive decline. Many are so diminished that they require full care, unable to get dressed, to go to the washroom or eat independently. Others are entering long-term care younger, but with serious lifelong mental health issues that operators say long-term care is not equipped to manage. Here's a question for all three of you and I'm challenging you to answer in a short period of time, but how do you see long-term care evolving from dealing with these kinds of more complex issues to more hopeful ideas as well? Perhaps Nitin, yeah. I think that that is such an important question because most people I speak with long-term care don't understand that's what long-term care is now. They still have a view of people going in and, you know, it's a place to stay, but it's not. It is becoming a lot more complex. And it's really, that's where the partnership with hospitals come in, the idea of diagnostic imaging, because not only it reduces uh, the, the stress in the hospital system, but it is not right for a resident uh, to be loaded up in a car and be in a hospital for half a day when it's not, when it's not urgent. You have a medical director in each of those homes. So that integration of healthcare is extremely important. And then the more we can reduce residents from long-term care going to hospitals on a much more regular basis, being stuck in the inside hospital when they could be better taken of long-term care. And that four hours of care, you know, we have been stuck at 2.8 for a long period of time. And again, thanks to the minister and the government that we are moving to four, we are around 15 years behind on that. So us getting there is gonna be a massive difference. That's 30, 40% more staff for, for each resident. That is gonna make a massive, massive difference. Look, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I think it's, it's inevitable that long-term care is becoming more about complex care, right? And that is why the next pillar of what was imagined through the Ontario Health Team concept back in, 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 in uh, 2018 when Minister Elliott brought it on was about building this integrated system. And 
everything that we are doing is about driving that, being able to handle those complex care. It's four hours, the, the diagnostic piece, the, uh, the new homes, bringing it into smaller, uh, smaller communities, and then working with, integrated with our hospitals, community paramedicine programs. So all of these programs are designed to uh, showcase what long-term care is becoming, complex care, uh, and keeping people in their homes as long as they possibly can, as long as they can be there, but with the supports that haven't always been there, that government can and should be providing. And, and, and look, I'm quite optimistic uh, uh, about where we're going, uh, partly because not only it's about the resources, but uh, it's about the cooperation that we're getting from the sector to actually get this done and to make that transition as, as quickly as, uh, as, as possible. There's some challenges, obviously, uh, but we will work our way through them. And uh, as I said, I'm quite excited by where we're going. Uh, I'm extremely excited. Uh, the fact that I'm up on the stage with the Minister of Long-Term Care and a long-term care operator probably tells you that acute care and care in Ontario isn't what it was you know, 10 and 15 years ago. It's exactly that point about managing through the continuum to make sure and working and partnering with organizations. It's why we have nursing outreach teams to 20 long-term care facilities in Scarborough. It's why we've got a program pilot uh, that the government funded for us called Scarborough at Home where we're able to go out past our, our organization and actually provide that care that's needed to keep them out. And when you really look at the downside effects for that for us, it actually means diversion of beds, which means we can actually put through more acute care for where people are. So I think what you're hearing, the constant message is that that integration and leveraging the tools through OHTs and also long-term care partnerships are, are something that actually really develops not only the people who require long-term care, but actually your acute population as well. Hey, thank you. I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation today, and I hope uh, the audience did as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'll just, yeah, Moira, have, have a seat. Thanks. Um, David, uh, Minister Calandra, on behalf of the Canadian Club Toronto, thank you so much for uh, role modeling how vision and partnership can really make the difference in long-term care uh, in our province and beyond. Um, I had three takeaways from, from our conversation today. I, I learned a ton as well. Uh, number one, uh, the notion that bringing care directly to the community is not just, obviously it's what people want, but also allows for the scale that we need for the numbers that we're talking about moving forward. Um, second, and this is very much credit David, to you and, and to you, um, SHN and Siena coming together like this has a lot to teach us about um, collaboration really being the fuel for, for uh, uh, supporting the continuum of, of care in the future, bringing the right care in the right place at the right time. So thank you to both of you for that leadership. And I think a message that I heard earlier in the discussion is this notion that at the end of the day, this is about the happiness of those dearest to us. So this is certainly a conversation worthy of this podium and worthy of our time today. So I wish you all continued success in your very important leadership roles on this critically important topic. And Maura, to you, thank you most sincerely for sharing your, your, your knowledge, obviously, about the topic at hand and your expert moderation of a really lively discussion today. I think we hit the mark that you'd set for us at, 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 at that outset. Um, members and guests, before we close, let me tell you about a few of our upcoming uh, in-person events here at the Canadian Club. On Monday, May 29th, Mirko Bivik, the President and CEO of BCE and Bell Canada, will be at this podium sharing his growth plans with us. The next day, in fact, Tuesday, May 30th, Michael McCain, Executive Chair of Maple Leaf Foods, will also join us to talk about his vision and the future of food. Uh, please visit 
us at canadianclub.org, you'll learn more about these events as well as others, as well as membership options to join us uh, more regularly here at the Canadian Club. I'd like to offer another round of thanks to our event sponsors today, the OLTCA. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't have had this conversation uh, without you. Members and guests, thank you so much for joining us today. I wish you all the best and look forward to seeing you at, a, at an event very, very soon. Thank you. <laughs>